2 Corinthians tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you take your Bible, join me there, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Last week, we enjoyed what we refer to as a Missions Emphasis Sunday. And so Dr. Jeremy Pittman and then Dr. Don Sisk were two of our special guests. And we sometimes say that that day is intended to be a for lack of a better expression, a a missions shot in the arm. We do a major missions conference and we do that every other year. And then on the years we don't do the missions conference, we do that special missions emphasis Sunday. I thought the day was a wonderful day. Of course, it included some other things around the day. We had a special meal. Um, I think it was Friday or Saturday night with Saturday night for our missionary kids here at Campus Church. And And it just was a special weekend of ministry. Before we get too far removed from the focus on missions, I wanted to take some time tonight and again, kind of ride on the coattails of what took place last week and and clarify potentially a little bit further, what does that look like for people like you and me? And, And what are the marks of someone who is called to evangelize vocationally in missions and then maybe we could extrapolate a little bit further beyond that. I mean, if I'm not vocationally called to missions, am I still qualifying as a missionary? What would that look like? So I thought we would begin by doing some, I don't know, I don't have a great way to express this other than let's clarify at least what is missions. So we have a basic working understanding of what are we even talking about. For most, I think there'd be an understanding of of what does missions look like or, or what are we talking about. But maybe for some in here, you say, yeah, I hear you talk about missions, but really what is that? So if we're trying to define what is missions, we would say the definition of missions is pretty straightforward. It's evangelizing the lost. So that part, we, we don't have some, you know, big wonder of what does this look like to evangelize? Evangelist. This means that you're going to be the person who is a proclaimer. You're going to get news out. And, and obviously, we're connecting the, the, the news that we're trying to share to good news. That is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let's drill down a little bit deeper, okay? Before you shut down and say, I think I already know this, let's drill down a little bit further and not only look at the definition of of missions, that is evangelizing the lost, but then let's see, what does this involve? Well, it's the result of both a passion for the person of God and obedience to the command of God. Now, I hope you get this sense that missions is the, the, the result, it's the outpouring, the outworking of a focus on God. Now, many times on um, Missions Emphasis Sunday, often through the course of a missions conference, we hear a lot about the need, and rightly so, because the need is very real. But I'm going to submit to you that if you go to say, I'm going to be involved in vocational missions. That is, I am a a person whose sole focus is the advancement of the gospel on behalf of somebody who has sent us out. I am a missionary vocationally. I'm paid to do this work. 
Many times people say, well, I had to go. What else could I do? Because the need was so great. I think we should start with something before we get to the need. And that is the God who has the answer to the need. In fact, we might say it this way. We might say that mission centers on God, not on a need. Although the need is great, it's not focused on a burden. Although a burden should be present. And it's not focused on the lost, though they be many. Let me say that again, just in case there's any question. Like, what did he just say? Missions centers on God, not on a need, although it is great, not on a burden, although it should be present, and not on the lost, though there be many, but entirely on God. So missions is God. As I see you, what else can I do but share the good news of the gospel? Anything else is a, is a lesser need. If we go and we say, well, I'm, I'm focused on the people because the people, well, what happens when they reject it? What happens when they're difficult? What happens when there's no response? What happens when the, the challenges of advancement for the gospel are so great that I can no longer do this? Well, wow, if I focus on the need instead of the God who is greater than the need, the need may say, I, I can no longer do this. But when I focus on God, his is the greatest view that my mind can have. So we start with him. We say, okay, the definition of missions is evangelizing the lost. It's a focus on God. What's the demonstration of missions? Okay, the demonstration of missions is threefold. It involves going, telling, and making disciples. The demonstration. Okay, what does missions look like then? Well, I know my focus has to begin with God. Not on the need, not on the burden, not on the people. My focus begins with God. And then how does this, how does this work itself out? The demonstration. Well, going. Uh, okay, so Lord, where do you want me to go? We sometimes sing the, the little chorus, around the corner, around the world. Lord, where do you want me to go? I, I mean, uh, maybe we're not all going to be vocationally missionaries, but we could all be involved in the work by doing exactly what we're looking at right now. Going telling, making disciples. And then you say, well, okay, I get the, the definition of missions, evangelizing the lost, the demonstration of missions, going, telling, making disciples, and then the deployment of missions. H how is this deployed? How, uh, uh, what's the strategy for doing this? Well, God gave us that as well. The deployment of missions is by degree. It should be local, regional, national, global, and all of this should be done concurrently. So we're involved in this all at the same time. So we, we say, okay, there should be local missions. Hey, hey, listen, you might not be vocationally involved in it, but you could say, I can be involved locally. Uh, some of you could say, hey, I can, I can be involved regionally. This is bigger than just my neighborhood, bigger than just my city. There might be some things involved now in my state. And, and some say, hey, listen, I can have a national part, a, a, a local, a regional, a national, some a global part in missions. So it's, it's done, the deployment of missions, the, the, it is done by degrees and it's supposed to be done all at the same time and this is something that all of us of course can be involved in. So understanding a basic description of missions, what is a missionary? And there might actually be more missionaries in here if we start to understand two marks of a true missionary. There might be more missionaries in here than we have first considered. And there may be some in here 
who God in your heart right now is working regarding the matter of vocational missions. I would submit to you that it is worth your consideration. Is he calling me? Because I see these two marks in my life. Now again, I'm not presuming to say that everyone in here is going to be involved vocationally in missions. But I do think there might be some who would have a consideration regarding the vocational aspect because you at least see these two marks of a missionary present in you. And if you see these two marks, it's a good question to say, Lord, is this something that you want me to do as my vocation? And if he says no, but I still want you to be involved in missions, well, wonderful. Uh, Lord, as you have deployed me as part of your grand army, uh, to what degree do you want me to be involved? Um, Is is this a local missions aspect while I'm vocationally doing something else? Is this a regional? Is this a national? Is this, Lord, in some way, even through my vocation, is this a global participation in the work of missions? Okay, so what are are the, the, the two marks of a true missionary? Okay, mark number one, a missionary sees God in a way different than those he is trying to reach. A missionary sees God in a way that is different from those he is trying to reach. Your Bibles are open right now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look down at verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look down at verse number 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so question for us tonight is this. What happens to a person when they become a Christian? And the answer is they begin to see God in a completely, for, for you know, consistency sake,ing they see God in a new light. They see God now in a new way. I didn't know this. I didn't understand this about God. They see God in a new light. They've also come to see themselves in a new light. Wow, I see myself differently and I see God in a different way. When the light of the gospel has shined out of the darkness into our hearts, we see what we could not have seen previously. The the Bible says that we walked in darkness Ah, but with the light of Jesus Christ, I start to see things that I did not see before. Therefore, we're saying, we're trying to draw at least the conclusion, the progression of thought that a missionary has light to see God and now he wants to help other people with that light to see God in a way that they had not seen him previously. I, I didn't understand this about God. I didn't understand this about me, but the light of the gospel now has come and I'm seeing some things that I couldn't have known, I couldn't have seen before. When we start to think about about what happens when I start to see God differently, when, wow, man, this is, I've never seen this before. The, The light of the gospel has shined in my heart. What starts to happen to us? Sometimes we have, um, well, I have one in my, in my Bible right now. I picked it up tonight before the service. It's just a, an order of service for what? It's an order of service for what we refer to oftentimes as our worship service. Our worship service. It's planned. 
Now, I mean this, and I'm saying this honestly. I'm not just saying something because it's a churchy thing to say. We, we pray over this service. We're purposeful about it. We're desirous to see this come together in such a way that, that resonates with the worship of the, the God that we have come to center our attentions on. But can you really just say, okay, let's all plan to worship right now? Do you know what happens in a worship service when worship really takes place? People who through the course of the week, people through their own looking into and investigating the truths of this book, people come away from their interactions with God having seen him and then when I see God, the natural human response, like, well, I see, I see God, he's different than me. I see him in his beauty and his splendor. He's high and lifted up, seated upon his throne. And when I start to see God and I start to see me, the natural response is worship. It's not just this, uh, let's plan to, okay, I'm going to worship God now. Hey, let's come together for worship. Well, I suppose you can do that, but do you know what starts to happen? It's just this natural overflow of the heart because we have seen God. And do you know what we start to do when we go out and we show people God in ways that they've never seen him before? Guess what the natural response is? Worship. We're actually going and we are making disciples who then are worshipers of Almighty God. It's just the natural overflow. We're not going to take time to read the passage. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot down the passage, Genesis 24, 12 through 27. Genesis 24, 12 through 27. It's the second time in scripture that the word worship is used. The first time was when Abraham said to his servant, you stay here, the boy and I are going to go up and we're going to worship God. Okay, we're going to do something. Now I'm going to submit to you, while this may have been challenging for Abraham to do, Abraham was only obeying as a natural overflow of his relationship with God. How else could he do what he's being instructed to do? So God, my obedience is just an overflow of my relationship. I am walking by faith and I'm going to worship you. I also submit to you that when Abraham obeyed and God stayed his hand, there was an even deeper form of worship that poured out from his heart. Second time worship is mentioned is when Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for his son. And this is the the story, the passage that I just mentioned, the details, the events of of what happened. So he goes and he prays and he says, Lord, uh, these are the conditions that I am asking. And um, if if I go, I'm going to go to the the well. Let the girl that that I'm supposed to, to bring back to my master's son, let her be there. Let her offer me a drink and let her offer to water the camels also. We already know, we've even heard this recently from this pulpit. This is, this is such a detailed prayer request. I mean, he's asking things that who would normally ask this? And it's a big stretch to even think someone would ever even hint at offering this. But everything he prayed for, he received. And then in verse number 27, um, verse, number 20, uh, verse number 26 says this. After all of these things happened, Genesis 24, 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Do you know what Abraham's servant is doing? His heart is, I, I, I might be, adding something into this, but, but, but forgive me if I am. 
I don't think I am adding anything to the text when I say, when Abraham's servant stops and worships, it's nothing more than the overflow of his heart. He had seen God work in specific response to what he had been asking. And then what's the natural response? Just this, whoa, this, this gushing forth from his heart of praise and thanks and worship to God. Let me ask you, have you ever had responses like that? I mean, responses where most often it's times where you're being stretched and you're in circumstances bigger than you. You've talked to God, you're, you're asking and pleading and pouring out your heart and God responds in God-like fashion and then there's just this welling up in your soul. Have you ever been in a service, of, in the gathering of saints and you start to appreciate the beauty of almighty God, what he's done on your behalf and there seems to well up within you this overflow of praise. What happens? You are worshiping God because you are seeing him in new light. Listen, you can and, and should see the burden of people. But looking at the burden of people, the need of people, isn't going to cause this overflow of, of, of appreciation for God. Sometimes, by the way, because the need is so great, if we don't keep our eyes focused on him, we may actually alter our doctrine. We may modify ourselves in some attempt to meet the need. Well, what do I have to do? Whatever I have to do to meet the need. No, 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 no. Whatever I have to do to see you accurately. And then, Lord, I'm going to trust you to meet the need. What is it that a true missionary sees? Well, a missionary sees God in a light, in a way different from those he's trying to reach. A missionary has to first see God. Campus church. We'll be poor missionaries, however God has deployed us, if we are not so consistently keeping our eyes fixed on him. The more clearly we are looking at him, the more deep and powerful will our message resonate with those who are in great need. In Jesus' day, he lambasted those who were really set up to be the ambassadors of the message of the kingdom. He, he, he eviscerates them. I mean, he just lays them open. Here's why. He says it this way in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 24. He said, ye blind guides, ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. How regrettable it is that in Jesus' day, the blind are the ones who are acting as a guide. Let me lead you. Uh, um, Jesus said, listen, you have, um, you have, so to speak, crossed the ocean to make a convert and you made him twofold the child of hell. Why is that? Well, because they were only looking at man's religion. They weren't looking at God. What is it that a missionary has to see he has to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. The Bible says it this way. A verse that you know, you used to sing it when you were a little kid. If you grew up in church, you sang this little light of mine. I'm going to let it hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, 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 shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to. Well, what are we singing? We're singing Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Okay, let your light so shine. Where did you get that light? Ah, from the one whose light shined in your heart. So you let your light shine. Another person sees that and they say, wow, looking at you, I have a right estimation, a right understanding of Almighty God. Um, we have some, Julie and I have some friends, uh, Mike and Lisa Reddick. Mike is really what, what I would call a missionary evangelist. He has been, both Mike and Lisa, have been figuring out ways to advance the gospel. And they've been creative in their use of, of means to advance the work that God's given to them. Uh, they have had their base for many years in Singapore and then have, have launched out into China, um, into the Philippines and into Indonesia, uh, many different parts of the world. While they were in Singapore, uh, Lisa posted this and she said, um, she said this, let me tell you what she wrote. Across the hall from us in Singapore is a lovely family, a retired doctor with her retired ship captain, husband, and their daughter, son-in-law, and two kids living in a flat above us. They are all from Myanmar. We've talked about the Lord many times, but left the discussion at a polite impasse. A few days ago, I gave them my husband's book titled Move On to Maturity in Burmese and asked them if they would mind reading it and letting us know what they thought. The next morning, she caught me on the way to the elevator and said, now I know, exclamation point, must freely forgive completely. We can be sure we are going to heaven. They had continued to tell me that they had read the first half of the book the night before and were assured of their salvation. I was shocked and amazed. Oh, me of little faith. They love the book and can't stop talking about what they have learned. I can't wait to talk to them more about it and hear what the Lord has done in their hearts. Do you know what Lisa's doing? Lisa's saying, okay, the, the light of God has shined in my heart. I'm going to find a way to sh share that light, to have, have someone else see God accurately so that they can see who is this God that they keep talking about. And by God's grace, I am praying that the light will shine in theirs as well. How sad today that so many that, that say they have a God think that their God is no better than any other person's God. Listen, just choose a God and figure out a way and, and that's good, good enough for anybody. This past um, Friday night, I was on an airplane and I'm flying back from, from uh, Ohio. So I'm on an airplane and I'm flying back and, and I sat down, took my seat. I, I was sitting next to two people who had already taken their seat and I immediately said, hello. And uh, hey, how are you? And, and both of them really polite. And uh, they said, oh, we're doing fine. They said, we're a little sleepy. We have been traveling now for some 24 hours. I said, whoa, wow, where are you guys coming from? And they said, we just did this beautiful cruise and we were over in Greece and, and we went to a lot of different places. It was wonderful, but, but we're really tired. We're ready to be home. And I said, oh, wow, that sounds great. And, and so we start having conversation and, and, um, and finally they asked me, well, where are you coming from? Are you, are you going home? I said, yeah, I'm going home. And they said, well, well what do you do? And I always love it when people ask me that. And, and so I always ask people, what, what do you do? In, in hopes that they're going to ask me what I do. 
And so they finally did. They said, um, what do you do? And I had come right from meetings where I was speaking. And so, I, I mean, I left the meeting. I went and got on the airplane. So I had a, a shirt and tie on. And, um, and they said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And they said, we thought so, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, so, so I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I was up at a conference. And so I'm heading back home. And, and then they said, they start offering information. And so they said, well, we go to church. And, and uh, then they started to talk about their their, their church, and, and we won't go into all the things about their church, but they said, um, we just believe that, um, they said, oh, we have a Mormon that comes to our Bible study, and, and we're just happy that they come because we think that, that God is the one who's going to sort all that out. That it's okay, you know, if she believes in Mormonism, uh, but we have our, you know, some of the things we believe, but it just doesn't really matter. They said, we just believe that God's going to sort all that out. And um, they're saying that any God is as good as another. Now, I would say this. I would say that any person who believes that any God is as good as another doesn't really believe in the merit of their God. In other words, they're not all equal. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. They said, we just believe. And I said, well, you know, the Bible talks about a way, specific way, through Jesus Christ alone. Well, well we, we just, we just uh, leave all that up to God, and um, that's kind of his business. And then they started saying, by the way, we were in Ephesus on our cruise, and the tour guide we had was wonderful. And I said, oh, that's, wow, that's where Paul was. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at, we stood on the platform where Paul preached. And did you know, the guide told us that Paul was really preaching against the people who were selling these little idols. And they were all mad because he's preaching against idolatry. And they got mad because he was taking away some of their profit. And I said, you know, what he was saying is that their gods were wrong. Well, anyways, and then they just kind of carry on. Do you know, if, if your God is no better than anybody else's God, you don't really believe that your God is, is a genuinely great God. God is God alone, and there is none else. There's none beside. And do you know what a true missionary does? A true missionary starts to understand, I'm going to give God glory. We use 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. What, what does it mean to give glory to God? It means to give others the right opinion of God. Listen, if a couple on an airplane can say, well, your God is as good as our God. Have you rightly represented your God? Not in the least. Because our God does say, I am God alone. There is no other God except our God. He is exclusively God. There is one way to God and that is through the person exclusively of Jesus Christ. Straight is that way. Narrow is that gate that leads to salvation. So when you start to understand, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to know that there is only one God when I see him, when he shines in my heart. Oh, Lord, the only thing I want to do now is use my life as a light to point other people to you. Let me, um, I'm going to finish this last point briefly and then we'll be on our way. What is the, the first mark of a true missionary? A missionary sees God in a way different from those he's trying to reach. 
And then second, a missionary declares God's glory among the lost. A missionary declares God's glory among the lost. Psalm 96, I don't have something on the screen for you, but listen to what it says. Let me read just a first a couple verses. Verse number one, Psalm 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. That's really let your light so shine. And then what am I supposed to do? What's part of that light shining uh, uh, involve? Well, verse number three, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Some may say, how should I start to declare his glory among the lost, his glory among the the heathen, his wonders among the nations? How am I supposed to do that? Let me say this, and I'm going to be careful about it, but let me at least say it, and then we can think through it. I'm not so sure that the method is the most important thing for us to grasp. You say, "Well, well, methods matter. Yes, they do. And aren't there some wrong methods? Clearly there are. But aren't there methods today that we didn't have yesterday? And might there be some methods tomorrow that we don't have today? I have in my office, if you ever come to my office and say, hey, show me that thing you're talking about. It's it's really, to me, it's really cool. It is this cardboard that's kind of folded up. And you unfold it and there are three sides. So you unfold it, there's a flat part and then there's a part that sticks up and another part that sticks down. And it has a little needle on on the part that comes back down. And then there is a simple record. And you put a record on the bottom part and that needle on the record. And then you take a pencil or a pen and you start spinning the record. And just from this little piece of cardboard and a record that's inside, you have a gospel message. And that gospel message went all across West Africa. I mean, it, it was remarkable. And for you to be able to play that and hear it, I, a missionary gave that to me when I was in Togo, West Africa, back when I was a college student at Pensacola Christian College. I was fascinated by this. It was a way to advance the gospel. We, we don't really use those, those records anymore. It was a method. Methods change. Sometimes we become so focused on a method that may have been effective, but, but it's not the same method today. Don't get so consumed. There are wrong methods. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. But there are methods that are yet to be explored that, that are certainly appropriate methods. They don't call our, our message into question. They're not confusing. They're, they're not mixing things that shouldn't be mixed. It's, it's just another method. So I'm not so sure the method is the most important thing to grasp. First and foremost, we need to present God accurately. Who he is, not simply what he does. Don't present God. One of the marks of a true missionary, he declares God's glory. I've said this already. To give God glory means to give others the right opinion of God. Don't go and present God as this great cash box in the sky. Like if I go to God, he's just going to meet all my felt needs. I'm going to have all my difficulties taken care of. All my sickness is going to be erased. All my troubles and trials are going to be gone. Do you know, um, sometimes we, we start to present God in ways that are inconsistent with the passages of Scripture that are everywhere before us. 
So don't present God as God who's going to, he's just going to make your ride really smooth. No, he's going to give you eternal life in heaven. But the journey there may be challenging. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Uh, In this life, we shall suffer persecution. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. We should be presenting Jesus Christ and his glory in a manner that resonates with the truths of Scripture. Some years ago, there used to be a government program. It was called Cash for Clunkers. I don't know if you, some of you might remember that program, but all you had to do is like get some junky car and turn it in and the government would give you, you know, some serious cash because you turned in your clunker. Well, to me, that's a lousy program. People were bad-mouthing that program while they're turning in their car. This is terrible for the government to do, but yeah, I got 3,200 bucks, you know, I mean, Listen, sometimes we start to think, well, God, I'm just going to come to you and you're going to provision me. And No, 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 no. Come to God because of who he is. Not because he's going to make everything easy for you. We come to God because we know he is the hope of life eternal, the life to come. Not because he's going to erase all of my challenges and difficulties here. A missionary then must present God and his great glory not his gifts, to people in need. Hey, come to God and he's going to give you, so to speak, the new car. He's going to remove your sickness. He's going to take care of your bank account and your bills. And No, we come to God for who he is and his great glory. And so we have to know him to be able to present him. Scripture says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Do you know, as we, as we close these thoughts on the marks of a missionary, the more we know him, the greater the message we will have to tell. Are, are you growing in your knowledge of him? He's the one who every day loads us with benefits. And as you and I grow in knowing Jesus, we start to reflect the same. The light shines brighter, more clearly in our lives. It's more easily seen. And we have become in our own corner of the world, the light of Jesus Christ to those in need. I don't know how many vocational missionaries the Lord may be calling or directing in this room. I think he probably is directing some. I also truly believe that any person who, who genuinely surrenders themselves to him, whatever that may be, can look back as they become a follower of Jesus Christ and look at the way that he has created as you followed those steps and said, Lord, it's been a good way. Is the Lord directing you to be a vocational missionary? Maybe you say, well, I have the marks. I see God in a way differently than those I'm trying to reach. I want to declare God's glory among the lost, give others the right opinion of God. I think those things should be true for every Christian who is maybe not a vocational missionary, but a missionary in that sense. And may God give us the grace to follow whatever course he may be leading 
And there may be some in this room that he is calling to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. 